1: I'm Mark Levin. Our number is 877 381 3811. 877 381 3811. I hope you had a good weekend. This disaster at this uh, condominium in Surfside, Florida, really just gets worse and worse and worse. Now they have 10 who've died, they cannot identify them. That shows you how horrendous this is. 150 apparently are missing. And this happened on Thursday, early in the morning. So we're heading into day five. Every single emergency team that is competent in doing this thing, eight of them, in various cities in Florida, are on the scene. The top experts from Israel are on the scene. The top experts from Mexico are on the scene. So everything that can be humanly done is being done. And at least locally I notice that the political parties, have politics aside, there's deep concern and worry by everybody, except the Washington Post. The Washington Post sees something like this and they think they have an opportunity to attack a Republican. And this is what I mean about the media in this country, how they're not just contributing to the destruction of the unity of this nation and ripping at its fabric, but they're leading the way. They are hoping that Governor Ron DeSantis did something or didn't do something that they could exploit in order to attack him and lay the foundation to defeat him. And unfortunately, this is how the media in this country think. It's how Chuck Todd thinks, George Stephanopoulos, and almost all the rest of them. Now, what am I talking about? In the Daily Wire, Ryan Sevierda, Florida Democrats push back on false claims from media about Governor DeSantis's response to the building collapse. So here we are in the middle of this horrific tragedy, and what do the media do? What is the Washington Post? They try to use it as an opportunity to advance their ideological agenda yet again. Leftist politicians and journalists spread false and misleading claims about Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis' response to the building collapse in Miami that were so outrageous that local Florida Democrats have strongly pushed back on their claims. Washington Post reporter Hannah Dreyer, she's a disgrace, she's a shameless buffoon, was one of the main leftist actors who was spreading false information about DeSantis' response. In a tweet that gained significant traction online, Dreyer wrote, quote, FEMA was ready to deploy to the condo collapse almost immediately and included the crisis in its daily briefing, but didn't get permission from Governor DeSantis to get on the ground for a full day. Now, bottom-feeding, ambulance-chasing, putrid Marxist, far-left representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, liked the tweet, which means that millions of her 12.7 million followers on Twitter would see it in their feed. So she goes out of her way to like the tweet. Now FEMA's National Incident Management System shows that requests for assistance are supposed to be made by local officials to state officials who then contact federal officials for assistance. And that's exactly what happened. DeSantis signed an executive order declaring an emergency less than an hour after Miami-Dade County Mayor Danielle Levine Cava, a Democrat, signed a local order declaring a state of emergency. Dreyer's claim that it took DeSantis a full day to respond is also false, as he approved the emergency declaration on the same day as the incident. In other words, there were no delays. It happened efficiently, it happened seamlessly. On Sunday, when pressed by far-left NBC host Chuck Todd, also Democrat, over whether the state had provided all the support that she needed, the Democrat Mayor Kava said that the state of Florida, and I quote, has been here in force, and that we have not lacked for any support. I'm sure that dumb look on Chuck Todd's face remained dumb, because he can't wipe it off. So we have the D.C. media suggesting that DeSantis failed to provide resources to Surfside, And even the basis for the question by Todd was all, again, intended for exploitation. Jared Moskowitz, a Democrat politician who recently served as Florida's director of emergency management, slammed the Washington Post reporter Dreyer, writing on Twitter, FEMA's mantra is locally executed, state-managed, and federally supported. As the former director in Florida who voted for Biden, this tweet below, meaning hers, is 100% malarkey. FEMA would have deployed the federally funded USAR teams, which are located in Miami-Dade County. They were already there. They were already there. Surfside Mayor Charles Burkett said on Sunday that the town does not have a resource problem, that they are drowning in resources. Folks, they have all these searchers there, not only from the, the eight specialized units in Florida, but from overseas the problem is, a lot of these people aren't going to make it. A lot of these people are probably already gone. Other far-left journalists and the media appear to try to mislead people by trying to blame DeSantis for the incident by posting side-by-side screenshots of a 2019 tweet from DeSantis where he championed deregulation Next to a screenshot of CNN article titled, Engineer Ray's Major Structural Damage at Florida Building a Few Years Before Collapse. This is amazing to me. It's not a matter of less regulation or more regulation. What we're finding out is that there was a review done three years ago and a warning that the, that the building needed major upgrades and needed them quickly. So, of course, for the left, it's more regulation appears to me they had regulation what they needed is more monitoring what they needed is more inspections by experts not a matter more regulations so here we are right away we have this horrific event and now one building does remind a lot of people of 911 of those buildings collapsing i'm not talking about terrorism i'm talking about when you look at that building it's holy crap here we are again and we're talking about a lot of people in one building a 12 story building and it would be nice if the Washington Post were actually investigating the background of all this stuff rather than trying to take out a, a truly remarkable Republican governor, but they can't help it because they're, they're that loathsome. And same with all the well, the cockroaches on social media. So why I don't bother anymore with most of it. Anyway... People should be concerned about those families that are suffering. If anybody's left at the bottom of that building, rather than trying to exploit the situation, and that that includes Chuck Todd, who's asking a Democrat mayor about DeSantis, hoping beyond hope that she'll say something negative. It also demonstrates to you that the media have no humanity. They don't care what's going on on the border. They pretend they have humanity. They have no humanity. They have no compassion whatsoever. Whether it was Stalin slaughtering the Ukrainians, whether it was the Holocaust where they covered their eyes and didn't want their readers to know what was going on, even now in this one building in Surfside. Now I want to thank many of you in this audience. Many of you in this audience who really stepped up and donated uh, to, to the Chabad synagogue there that was assisting and is assisting morning, noon, and night on the ground. I'm always so proud of this audience. I really am. You're just... You're a, uh, you're a blessing. You're an absolute blessing. And I want to thank you very much. I'll be right back. Mark lovin'. that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer... You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Independence Day. You know, a few months ago, Joe Biden embraced Tlaib on the tarmac of an airport, praising her for her courage. Her courage in doing what? Well, I'll cut to the chase. Her anti-Semitism, her anti-Americanism, her contempt for the state of Israel. Because that's what she stands for. And on top of that, she's clearly a Marxist. And Joe Biden wanted her to know how smart she was. He even called her out in a public event. That's Joe Biden. His press secretary has prepared, Jim Psaki, for a question that was obviously going to come around the conduct of Gwen Berry. Gwen Berry, who won the bronze and Olympic trial who turned her back on the national anthem and on the flag, then accused those responsible for the event of trying to set her up. And this was Olympic trials in Oregon. She came in third. And then she had a t-shirt just prepared calling herself an athlete activist. Now, the Olympics are not about countries versus countries. It always has been that way. But there are certain people who are so narcissistic because they hate America and they love this hardcore left ideology that they feel they're being righteous in condemning their country. That helps fund their activities. That helps send them overseas at some point. Now, we used to say Obama would go overseas and apologize for our country. Joe Biden not only apologizes for our country, he's destroying our country. I've told you before, he's the dumbest man to ever serve in the United States Senate. I've told you before, he is a blank slate, which is why he was, throughout his career, plagiarist whether stealing information from taking a law school exam or stealing speeches from Neil Koenig or Robert Kennedy or what you have. Now he has stolen the ideology of Bernie Sanders, who has stolen it from Marx. And so he trashes our country at every turn. Do you know why Latinos are kind of leaning against, he says, getting vaccinated? They're afraid of being deported. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of Latinos in this country who are American citizens who aren't afraid about being deported. So that's another racist slur. Then he talks about black people remembering Tuskegee, which had to do with syphilis. as another reason blacks aren't taking or using uh, vaccines as much as possible. And then white people, of course, because they're white supremacists, uh, and uh, that's their problem. This is a sick man. I'm not even talking about his... His incapacitation. This is a hateful, sick man who will do anything for power and to hold on to power. People don't understand this. So he has embraced the most radical, hateful, racist ideas on the political spectrum today. So here's what Pasaki had to say after Peter Ducey asked Pasaki about where the president stands on this Gwen Berry. Cut 14, go.
0: This weekend, Gwen Berry, who hopes to represent the United States as an Olympian on the hammer throwing uh, events,
2: won a bronze medal at the trials, and then she turned her back on the flag while the anthem played. Does President Biden think that is appropriate behavior for someone who hopes to represent Team USA?
0: Well, uh, Peter, I I haven't spoken to the president specifically about this.
1: So she's a liar. Of course she has. They anticipated this. Go ahead
0: but I know he's incredibly proud to be an American uh, and has great respect for the anthem and all that it represents. I don't know
1: that in the least. Look at what he's done. Go ahead.
0: For our men and women serving in uniform all Who around. Who he's
1: undermining as I speak. Go ahead.
0: He would also say, of course, that part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country haven't lived up to our highest
1: ideals. Why don't you and tell us about the moments where we have? Why don't you tell us about the moments where we have? A lot of us have family members, and a lot of you listening, who have served in the military. My grandfather fought in Iwo Jima and Guam. My great-uncle fought on Guadalcanal. Why don't you remind people about stuff like that? Why don't you remind people about the Civil War, where there were over 700,000 casualties? Why don't you remind them about the Vietnam War and the Korean War? Why don't you remind them about that? Why don't you remind them about the people who've been in Afghanistan and in Iraq and in Africa and all over the world, many of them on secret missions. What a fantastic country we are. Why don't you remind them that most of our wars in recent times have been fought in non-white countries in order to protect Muslim against Muslim, Arab against Arab, and you name it. Why don't you remind them of our great moments, Pasaki? Because you hate the country. And so does your boss. And none of you have any relationship with people like this. That is, who are patriotic. None. Go ahead.
0: Respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution. This isn't a
1: matter of respecting the right of people granted in the Constitution. This isn't a First Amendment issue. This is a fact that an athlete who's supposed to be representing our country is humiliating our country or attempting to because she is an egomaniac and a narcissist and a self-righteous aggrandizer. It's not even good for sports, right? Don't we have teams? I'll be right back.
3: Seeking the truth never gets old.
1: This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy 4th of July. Now back to the best of me. Mark
0: Levin, radio's hell-raising intellectual. Call now,
1: 877-381-3811. You know, uh, the left has destroyed the Oscars. Nobody watches the Oscars anymore. They've destroyed the Golden Globes. Nobody watches the Golden Globes anymore. They have done uh, serious damage to uh, multiple sporting leagues. And uh, now they're going to do it to the Olympics. And there's several reasons for this. First, I don't know if you were able to watch my show last night and hear the monologue on Fox. But I want to play some of this for you to lay the foundation for the rest of the program this evening. So I hope you'll bear with me. So let's go. Cut one, go. We talk a lot about critical race theory. We talk almost not at all about something called lat crit which is Latino critical race theory. We talk almost not at all about critical gender theory. We talk almost not at all about the movement behind um, climate change, so-called, and the Green New Deal. Well, in this book that I've written, American Marxism, we talk about all of them and more because they intersect. That's a word I didn't invent, intersectionality. That's a word one of the critical race theoreticians in a law school in California invented. They all intersect. And what's the common denominator? The white-dominant American society must go. That is, it must be destroyed from within, one way or another. All the progress that's been made economically is not progress at all. All the race relations progress that we've made, well, that's not progress at all either. And I want to talk about this briefly before I bring the guests on I'm watching now on MSNBC, Joy Reid and others who are lying through their teeth about what's taking place with critical race theory. They either don't comprehend what it means or they're purposely misleading the public. Critical race theory is not about learning the history of America. It's not about learning slavery and segregation. It's not about learning about neo-Nazis and the Klan. It's about a Marxist movement invented by Marxists, Herbert Marcuse, uh, Derek Bell, and many, many others, and it attracts the Marxists like Black Lives Matter founders, two of of three who've already said that they are Marxists, and that's not a coincidence, because this was hatched by professors as a way to attack the society from a Marxist perspective. So when Joy Reid goes on MSNBC and asks one of the professors involved in leading this movement. You know, uh, some people are actually saying this is a Marxist-based movement, and I've been saying it now, really, uh, for some time. Uh, And that professor never said, no, it's not, because she can't. You want to know why? I read what she wrote, and she's written a lot. In fact, I've read what Herbert Marcuse wrote, and he wrote a lot. And I read what Derek Bell wrote, and he wrote a lot. And they all say it. They can't deny it but they want to embrace it. Now, the problem is this. This ideology, again, isn't about teaching history. It's about teaching lies. It's about teaching racism. It was considered a kook fringe movement in the 1960s and 70s. Now, the United States military is promoting it. Now, every federal department and agency is promoting it, thanks to Joe Biden. Now, almost every school district is promoting it thanks to these administrators and school board members, and of course, the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers. And we're gonna continue to talk about this on this program, and I hope you will pre-order a copy of American Marxism because it lays it out, but it lays out more than that. Have you ever heard of Latcrit, L-A-T slash C-R-I-T? This is a Latino slash Chicano movement that pulls in the critical theory and critical race theory ideas. And what's the bottom line with this? The bottom line is Americans. You're the interlopers. You're the illegal aliens. In fact, the entire existence of the United States of America is a result of imperialism and colonialism by white Protestant Europeans who came into this, this continent and imposed their will and created this country. That the real natives, indigenous peoples of this area are south of the border. And so they have every right to come to this country. They're not illegal aliens. You're an illegal alien. And so they do not accept or recognize the sovereignty of the United States because there is no United States. There is no United States. Now, this is also being taught in our colleges and universities, in addition to critical race theory. And that's what they mean by intersectionality. So we have all these victims, all the oppressed by the existing civil society that's doing all the oppressing, And so everybody has a chip on their shoulder. Everybody has a reason to want to overthrow and overturn uh, the existing society. And so that's the notion that there are two Americas, North America, South America, and they argue even there. There's really one America. And the indigenous peoples, of course, are the people who are coming into this country, not the people who are in the country. By the way, as a footnote, that's an interesting argument from these radical Marxists, because when it comes to the Middle East, they forgot about who the indigenous people are. They're the Jewish people. Well, they've only been there 4,000 years, you see, but apparently they live on occupied territory. All right. But that's not all. So you have critical race theory, you have lat crit, what else do you have? You have what I call critical gender theory. Now what's that? Well, that's why Facebook says there's 58 varieties of genderism and things you do with your gender. Okay. There's not this binary thing where we call a male and a female. A male has this and a female has that. No, 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 no. And why is that part of this so-called spawned Marxist movement out of Marxism? Many of its leaders and many of its scholars, how do I know I've read it. It's in the book. They believe that this whole idea of a man and a woman and biological genitalia, that's been imposed by a social contract early on in the history of this country by the same people who were enslaved blacks, the same people who took over territories that belong to Latinos and Chicanos, and these people are are trying to impose their morals and their religious beliefs on society. And who are they to do that? Who the hell are they to do that? And so this is this movement, particularly the the trans movement, as they call it, I suppose, uh, that rejects it. And so you have Facebook pushing 58 different varieties and others pushing four different varieties. And now when you get on an airline, you can, you can say male, female, other, whatever that means. And you can see this being pushed by the Department of Education. Again, it's being pushed in our schools, transgenderism. If somebody is transgendering and they're of proper age, nobody cares, nobody said don't do whatever. We, people may have their opinion if you're gonna make it public. It doesn't belong in elementary schools. One of the entities that's pushing it among students is the United Nations, as you'll see again in American Marxism, the book. And they have a whole teaching plan that's being used now. Have you checked about this transgenderism movement? Not that people are transgender, a movement. Have you checked it in your elementary schools lately? Many of you may not know this, but it's there, and it's not getting the attention that it deserves. Critical race theory, lat crit, transgenderism, what else? The war on capitalism. You can't be a good Marxist without attacking capitalism. And I spent some time on that on last night's Life, Liberty, and Levin, which I won't do now. But I want to follow up on this earlier point with you that you just heard. There's a professor by the name of Richard Landis at Boston University. He wrote a book in 2011, Heaven on Earth. And I... I mention this in my American Marxism book, and I point out that uh, he explains, among other things, the emotional, intellectual, religious, and spiritual drive of uh, millennials. He calls them millennialists. And uh, I'm pointing all this out because you're seeing uh, with Gwen Berry, the hammer thrower, and so forth, the self-righteousness of people who've contributed almost nothing to this country they take from the country, they benefit from the country, and yet they always claim victimhood. Now he says, uh, the, the Millennialists have a passion for justice. They think they know good and evil well. And when they look at humanity, many see not a wide and nuanced spectrum of people, but a few saints and a vast sea of sinners, some redeemable and most not. They're quite clear on who will suffer punishment, and who will gain reward at the final revelation. And when they believe the moment has come, they do not believe in compromise. They anticipate the absolute eradication of evil, that is, corruption, violence, oppression, and the wondrous bliss of the just kingdom for the good. For millennialists, the gray world of the mixed body of believers and unbelievers is an illusion in which the bad guys are only first for the time being. It will. It must pass away. Then the last, the meek, the humble, the powerless will become first. Then I point out this makes Marxism a uniquely alluring ideology in that Marx wraps his ideology in the language of the underdog and the oppressed and calls for the eradication of the status quo. For it is said to be corrupt through and through. Now Landis goes on. All millennialists hope that commitment to their beliefs will spread far and wide, enough to bring about a transformation of social and political universe. That is the very essence of millennialism, as opposed to other forms of of eschatology. That is, the just will live free in this world. It is a collective salvation, a social mysticism. It might come by and by, but such a promise is not pie in the sky. It imagines a transformation of humanity, an evolutionary leap to a different way of human interaction that can have enormous emotional appeal. To use the language of political science, millennialism is perhaps the first revolutionary ideology. And then I point out, thus for its preachers and followers, there's a theological-like aspect of Marxism a promised fundamental transformation of society and the purification of man's nature through a rebirth of society replaced with a collective salvation found in communal egalitarianism. Landis continues, revolutionary ideologies only begin to appeal to large numbers, the meme only spreads widely, when people feel themselves close to the moment of transformation. Indeed, while many of us are millennialists in some way, that is, we hope that eventually mankind will enter a new stage of peace and justice. Very few of us are apocalyptic millennialists, that is, believe this world historical event is about to happen. Only in those relatively rare moments when large numbers are convinced and mobilized by the conviction that at last the time has come does the millennialism become a movement that has entered an apocalyptic vortex. For the people who've entered apocalyptic time, Everything quickens, enlivens, coheres. They become aroused. Everything has meaning and patterns. The smallest incident can have immense importance and open the way to an entirely new vision of the world, one in which forces unseen by other mortals operate. If the warrior lives with death at his shoulder, then apocalyptic warriors live with cosmic salvation before them, just beyond their grasp. So I point out it is unsurprising that the world's most renowned and notorious Marxist revolutionaries were of the same mindset and also went to college. They were millennials. Vladimir, I mean, excuse me, Lenin, his biography includes that he was born in a well-educated family, excelled at school, and went on to study law. The university was exposed to radical thinking, his views were influenced by the execution of his elder brother, a member of the Revolutionary Group. Expelled from the university for his radical policies, Lenin completed his law degree as an external student in 1891. And then he moved to St. Petersburg and became a professional revolutionary. Although Mao was born in a peasant family, his biography explains that he trained as a teacher and he traveled to Beijing. We worked in the university library. During this time, he began to read Marxist literature. In 1921, he became a founding member of the Chinese Communist Party. Cambodia's Pol Pot came from a relatively prosperous family. His biography states that he was educated in a series of French-speaking schools. In 1949, he won a scholarship to study in Paris where he became involved in communist politics. And I could go on. I can go on about Castro. Another one. Fairly well-to-do family. His father owned a farm. He went to law school. Hugo Chavez. Decently well-to-do. Was in the military, overthrew the government. It's not a perfect model, but it is an overwhelmingly accurate model. And so we swing back to this massive uprising of the proletariat. There is no massive uprising of the proletariat. It's a relative handful of individuals. Perhaps they can convince 10%, 20%, 30% of the population. And they have to impose their will. And you can see now the millennial list or the millennial. You can see Gwen Berry. You can see so many in sports. LeBron James. And they're not alone. AOC, etc., etc. The self-righteousness, the narcissism. They can succeed on their own. They can become enormously famous, enormously wealthy. But that does not feed the self righteousness and the narcissism. It's never enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. I'll be right back.
0: Much love in.
1: Listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Independence Day. You know this book, American Marxism. It's hard to explain. When you get it, you'll read it. You'll see what I mean. There's seven chapters, really. You need to read the first six and understand the first six in order to to deal with the seventh. And the seventh is the action chapter. And that's why I spend so much time on the first six chapters as well as the seventh chapter, but it's the action chapter. So it's not enough to get the book. You've got to read it. Take your time. We're going to do this together. And I have some news for you, since people keep asking me. And this is because of you. The book has now sold pre-orders of 170,000, 150,000 of which are hardback. The others are e-book and audio. Really, the industry's never seen anything like this. That's because of you. They're surprised by you. I'm not surprised by you. I know you're earnest about what you want to do and learn. And this audience is made up of people who didn't finish high school, who didn't go to high school, and people with 10 degrees. Because we're red blooded Americans who care about this country. We happen to love this country. And we want to sustain it. We want to help it. And we're going to have to deal with this. And I hope you'll go ahead and pre-order. It's number one on Amazon right now. I hope you'll go ahead and pre-order your copies, particularly for kids and grandkids who are going into college here. I shall return!
0: He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark
1: Levin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy 4th of July. Now back to the best of me. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. As I mentioned, I'll be on Hannity tonight, 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time on the Fox News Channel. Jennifer Granholm, well, she's a moron. She was governor of Michigan. She's been other things. Now she's the Secretary of Energy. She knows nothing about energy, which is exactly why she's there. She's just another ideologue. It's amazing to me that we have politicians from Michigan, the home of the assembly line, the automobile assembly line. Who hate automobiles. It's, it's an amazing thing. And they get elected. And they get elected with a lot of union votes. It's, it's like, do you understand these people hate your guts? At some point, people need to understand this. Minorities and in their inner cities need to understand the Democrat Party is abusing you and using you. And I don't care if they're black mayors or city councils and so forth. It's party first, baby. That's where they stand. Power. So we have this horrific collapse in Florida. Horrific. 150 people missing, 12 dead. Day six, they haven't found a single person alive since the first day, a a young boy. This could be an absolute horror. I knew this was coming. And here's Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy... And she's on CNN today. So CNN brings her on knowing full well, full well where her head is and prods her and pushes her to say it. Cut, nine, go. We've been talking a lot about what happened in Florida at the
2: Surfside condominium building that collapsed. We don't know exactly what happened at this point. But given what we know about the changing climate, given that we've seen an increase in these so-called extraordinary tides and the impact that that can have in areas like South Florida, do you think that climate could have played a role in that building's collapse?
1: Let's just stop a second. This is so inhumane and sickening to be pushing this, this kook agenda. Let's say the climate changed in South Florida over the last 40 years. Did it change in a violent way? No. Have there always been hurricanes there? Yes. Tides change. Even high tides change. We call it gravity. We call it the sun. We call it the moon. To start speculating about an idiotic argument like this is just so outrageous climate change. I wonder if the architect was a white racist. Maybe he was a Republican. This is why CN literally is losing what's left of its little audience because they're sick. They're sick bastards. Who was this Mr. Producer? I don't even know her name. Erica Hill? Who's Erica Hill? Now, they bring this up because they know Grand Home will agree with them, at least in part, or at least speculate with them.
2: Go ahead. Well, obviously we don't know fully, but we do know that, that the seas are rising. I mean, we know that we're losing inches and inches of
1: beaches, not just in Florida, but all around. Yes, um, we are. And in some places we aren't. There's not a damn thing we can do about it. Nothing. We can ban the automobile altogether. We can go back to the good old days when people were starving to death, when they had to ferret for their own food, when, when you had none of the niceties that the Industrial Revolution brought the American people. And it would still happen if it's going to happen. Because Mother Earth is not a mother. It's a planet. And it's not the only planet. And things happen on this planet as a result of things that are beyond this planet as well. The idea that human beings can affect the planet. The idea that human beings can affect gravity and the sun and all the rest is so irrational. But it doesn't matter. People want to believe. They may not want to believe in God. They may not want to embrace a faith. But this is their... This is their religion. They can't help it. This is it. And they, t- and they insist on dragging the rest of us with them. But we're not even done looking for people who might be alive. And now we have the climate change discussion between a phony host with a low IQ and a hack politician with even a lower IQ. Climate change. Yes, we know that the seas are rising. We know that the seas are rising. We know it's because of capitalism. So everybody has to be poor. Everybody has to live to our code: what kind of house they can have, how big it is, what kind of automobile they can have, how many they can have, and everything else. Go ahead.
2: You no, know, like Michigan, where I'm from, they you know we've seen the loss of beaches because the the waters are rising. So. You know, this
1: is a I'm fen- sorry, the water's been rising for a long time. And then there's a cycle where they recede. And there's not a damn thing we can do about it. Nothing. Hello? Nothing. And we can't even secure the border. We can't even address real crime in our streets. We can't even balance our budgets. But we're going to stop the ocean from rising. We're going to stop Lake Michigan from rising. We're going to, oh, yeah, all we have to do is seize your property, seize your liberty, destroy your lifestyle and your way of living, shrink our economy, and then everything will be swell. Now, you may starve to death, but that's okay. Go ahead. We'll continue. Whether it ha- we'll have to wait to see what the analysis uh, the, thank is. Thank you for nothing. And then there's Representative Jamal Bowman. Now, this guy's a real, real haparatric. Uh, He's a real apparatchik. This guy used to be a, uh, a principal or an assistant principal at a public school. He's a complete clown, a complete unhinged kook. Now, who's Casey Hunt? Casey Hunt is with MSNBC. You see what I mean? These so-called hosts or news people are crazier asses than the people that question it. So now we have Casey Hunt. Cut, 10, go. What's the right uh, top-line uh, price tag for the reconciliation package?
2: Is, is $6 trillion too many trillions?
3: So, no, it's not. But before I go to a top line, let me say this. I believe we need a federal jobs guarantee to get us out of this climate crisis.
1: How many more stupid people are going to get elected to Congress we need a federal jobs guarantee to get us out of this climate crisis. You see, folks, it all comes down to, to money. Redistribution, big government, government control. We need a civilian, we need a federal jobs guarantee to get us out of this climate crisis. What climate crisis are you talking about, you moron? What are you talking about? We have a climate crisis? Why? Why? Because this clown said so? What does he know about climate? What does he know about anything? Go ahead. I believe we need a
3: civilian climate corporation to get us out of this climate
1: crisis. We need a civilian climate corporation to get us out of this climate crisis. We do? And what the hell is this numbskull talking about? A civilian climate corporation? Well, he's a Marxist. That's what he's talking about. A thousand ways to skin the capitalist. That's all. He's got the media with him. He's got the damn full corporations with him. Go ahead. And we have
3: to get to net zero carbon emissions uh, by 2030 or 2035. So,
1: in nine years or in 14 years, we need net zero carbon emissions. That means every smokestack industry, every automobile, Every, actually, mammals with fluctuation and so forth. We're going to stop carbon emissions. I want you to take a deep breath in and then a deep blowout. Go ahead. Deep breath in. Now out. That out is carbon dioxide. Now, how are we going to have zero carbon emissions? Less people, maybe? Remember, they were into that kick not too long ago. Hey, the population, hey, hey. We need population control. We need people control. We we, we need... These are the sickos, the sick bastards. Go ahead. The
3: latest. So whatever number that is to get us to a federal jobs... Ah, shut up, you
1: idiot. We have an absolute insane asylum in the hard left of the Democrat Party. And what they ought to do in these House offices is, is put pads on the walls. Because these people on the hard left, they belong in an institution. I'll be right back. Love This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Independence Day. We have uh, one of the more perceptive and intelligent and wisest young people I know, Daniel Horowitz with us of the Blaze Media. Daniel, you wrote a piece the other day, Republicans should trap Biden with legislation instituting tough sentencing on gun felons. Explain to the American people what you have in mind.
4: Well, it's great to be back with you, Mark. And look, where I live in Central Maryland... I've been saying – Congratulations. Yes. Well, where I live, I can't carry – Don't you have a
1: car? Can't you get the hell out of there? Anyway, go right ahead.
4: Well, that's the thing. You don't have too many cars left because of all the carjackings. Mm -hmm. And when you carjack someone, you you tend to use a gun. And what's funny is a law-abiding citizen here cannot carry, yet you could have an individual that has five felonies and is caught assaulting someone with a gun. We talk about red flag laws. But what if someone's the ultimate red flag, they've been convicted of a violent crime and they're caught with a weapon, a legal possession, assaulting someone with it? The story of every major city from Baltimore to Chicago to New York and L.A. certainly now is that there are thousands of gun felons on the streets that are caught. And then even after they're caught and they violate their parole when they're caught with another firearm, they're not reincarcerated. Because of the deincarceration agenda, so my idea is simple: we should call Biden's bluff and say, "Hey, you want gun control? Let's stiffen all the mandatories for violent gun felons, and you'll stop about eighty percent of the street crime."
1: Now, why would they oppose that?
4: They oppose it because, as much on as racial grounds, hate, so as much as they hate guns, they hate incarceration even more. This has become the holy grail. I mean, you remember from the Reagan era, Reagan forced the Democrats kicking and screaming to go along with his tough-on-crime agenda. Unfortunately, this past generation, with the resurgence in crime, Republicans themselves have been very soft on that. So Democrats don't feel the pressure Mm -hmm. um, to get tough on crime like they did in the early 90s. And um, that's why they are continuing to literally look you in the eye and say we have gun violence while letting every gun felon they can out post-conviction, uh, pre-trial, uh, regardless of their record.
1: Now, are you optimistic that Republicans will push this kind of agenda? Have you talked to anybody on Capitol Hill and so forth?
4: You know, it is surprising to me. I have not seen um, much legislation. I remember mm-hmm. in the early 90s as a kid, Uh, Crime was the biggest issue, and now we're surpassing the records in some major cities. And I'm a little bit surprised at how muted Republicans are. I am not seeing much of an effort. It's almost like there's a stigma against increasing the numbers in prison, and it's based on this Faulty premise that we have an over-incarceration problem when, in fact, um, you know the prison population has been plummeting even before COVID. Certainly afterwards, and crime is increasing. So I'm not really optimistic. Uh, We're seeing a lot of Republican-controlled states where these libertarian think tanks come in and they think of more ways to let. Like the Coke, uh, like the
1: Coke Group comes in now.
4: Exactly, the Coke Group. They're doing this in Texas. They're doing it in every state. And by the way, this is not just a New York. uh, blue state problem. This is a 50 state problem where even putting drugs aside, just straight up violent gang members are not being punished commensurate with the crimes they commit.
1: You know, the Democrats want to rearrange society. They got all kinds of plans, trillions and trillions of dollars. There's not a corner of this civil society that they don't want to control, to reimagine, to transition, fundamentally alter, and on and on and on. And yet, they can talk about how they care about people and the poor and the, the middle class and so forth, but they're getting people killed, aren't they? They're getting people literally killed by their policies in these cities that they have 100% control over.
4: This is really the untold story of the past year from the BLM and agenda, the de-incarceration, anti-policing. At the end of the day, it unlike in the 70s where I think the threat was a little bit more homogenous, it's still limited to certain areas. So it's not where the politicians are living, and they don't care. But the reality is that murders, the number of murders has increased 78 percent in a a city like Philadelphia. But the overwhelming number of victims... Excuse me, that's the
1: city of brotherly love. That can't possibly be going on. That's my home city.
4: Exactly, but there's only brotherly love for some. They talk a lot about um, equity or inequality. And the one form of inequality they won't speak of is the imbalance in homicide victims, 85% of all homicide victims in Philly this year have been black. And the thing is, that number is going up. So what that tells you is that the excess homicides that we're seeing over the past year, year and a half, relative to the prior 20 years, those are almost exclusively black victims of crime. So they're pushing a racial agenda to say that we can't incarcerate people, but it's almost all black victims of crime that are suffering.
1: And we're, uh, we're distracted by this white racism BS stuff. Uh, and when in fact, like Joe Biden, Joe Biden said nothing about black-on-black crime. Joe Biden said nothing about the Democrats who run these cities and their policies. Joe Biden said nothing about these Soros elected prosecutors who won't prosecute. Joe Biden said nothing about these liberal Obama and his ilk type of mentality judges that he's appointed. None of the real problems that they've created will they talk about because, well, they created them. I found it truly shocking. This is the first crime
4: wave we've seen in the country where there is no response that is geared towards locking up the bad guys. It was all focusing on the guns themselves and then just throwing money at people for employment. and Gun all Gun dealers. Programs.
1: Tell me, how many gang members go to gun dealers and fill out that federal uh, license <laughs> form, that federal registration form? Uh, probably none.
4: No, none of them. And, and their favorite bogeyman are these rifle accessories or, or specialty type of guns. And, and the reality is that rifles are only responsible for 0.02% of all homicides. Yes, um, but you know
1: what, Daniel Horowitz? Democrat policies are responsible for 90%. Exactly. David Horowitz, I want to thank you, Daniel, and we'll have you back soon, and thank you for everything. Daniel Horowitz, everybody. Catch him at Blaze. We'll be back. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Independence Day. Mark Levin, the
0: research arm of conservative media. Call in now,
1: 877-381-3811. July 13th, the release of American Marxism. When we, hopefully millions of us, engage. Engage, and we provide support to those who've already been engaging in various school districts and so forth, but we've got to do a lot more. First thing we need to do is inform ourselves. I know you've heard a lot about critical race theory. You've heard a lot about some of the other theories in a relatively surface level or superficial way. I really want you to drench yourself in what the enemy is doing. This is what George Washington would tell you, the head of the Continental Army. This is what Ulysses S. Grant would tell you or Abraham Lincoln would have told you. This is what Patton would tell you. And we're taking it from a absolutely, not mostly peaceful, 100% peaceful perspective. The Marxists are violent. We are not. We can do things. And one of the things we're going to do is go through some of their strategies and steal them. And use them against them. We're going to have our own strategies and use them. And we're going to talk about how we do this, how we, how we engage many, many patriots right now who are very upset, but really kind of sitting on the sidelines. Ways we can do things without disrupting your life. Just a little bit of, of attention and focus. But it's now up to our generation to save the country. We not only have to hurry in order to stem what's taking place because we're losing right now. We're losing. But we will lose the country from within and from without because communist China is on the move. Communist China is on the move. Look at the generals and admirals leading our military. Not all of them, but listen to the ones that you've seen testify. They are pathetic. This guy Milley is a disgrace. I don't care what he's done in his past. I'm dealing with his present. He's not ready for anything. The head of the Navy? This guy's overseeing the depletion of our, of our ships. It's appalling. You heard Millie say, I've read Mao, I've read Lenin. I went into one of the Republicans and said, really, what of Lenin exactly have you read? And what of Mao exactly have you read? And while we're at it, what have you read from the Founding Fathers? Let's go into some detail. I mean, he opened the door, but unfortunately there was no time or no interest in walking in. General, what exactly have you read from Lenin? Hmm? And tell me, what authors have you read on critical race theory? And what what impressed you? Uh the uh, general has no idea what the hell he's talking about they're talking in platitudes this is this is the problem then we have uh, joy reed who just keeps lying and lying and lying because that's what she does best she's a liar and joy you can come on the program anytime you want and then i'll i'll have some joy in questioning you so she uh, she starts attacking the gop because the gop is rejecting American history. Now she's a liar. Nobody's rejecting American history. It's the Marxist left that burns books and pulls down statutes. We're the ones saying, don't burn books, leave the statues up, let's learn our history, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. They want to pull down all remnants of the Confederacy, which of course they're responsible for. But why would you do that if you want people to learn about them? They don't even make any sense. We want them to learn about slavery. We want them to learn about what the Confederacy did. But we're going to burn the books and pull down the monuments. Uh, What? Well, how are we going to learn about this, then? That's a side point. But here's Joy Reid on MSLSD. Cut two. go.
2: This weekend, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson told a crowd of Republican supporters that he's more panicked than ever about the state of the country. And the Republicans should, quote, take back our school boards, our county boards, our city council. Why are you so
1: hysterical? What's with the drama? You sound like a mental case. Are you a mental case? Why are you so excited about this? I believe she's a daughter of immigrants, too. We've done a hell of a good job vetting, haven't we? Making sure people who come into this country love this country. Well, that's the problem with open borders, ladies and gentlemen. Or open immigration. Used to be, you would have to show allegiance to the country. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, of course. But you're not supposed to hate the country. But here we have a hater. Go ahead.
2: We'll take back our culture. What exactly is our culture, Senator? And,
1: and I'll tell it? you what our culture is, Joy. And maybe you should start reading a little bit so you can actually inform yourself. Our culture is about enlightenment. Our culture is about the Judeo-Christian moral and philosophical teachings. Our culture is about the values that uphold a civil society. Our culture is about having allegiance to a diverse, open, and just society. Our culture is about making corrections where corrections have to be made. Trying to fix imperfections where imperfections exist, as they do in every society. Our culture is about faith and family. Our culture is about free market capitalism, where people are free to make things and sell things without interference from the government. And I can go on and on and on, but you don't really care. Do you? Your nitwittery knows no bounds. Go ahead. Or
2: In that sentence. And who decides? What
1: do you what mean, does? who decides? It's called tradition, it's called custom. Maybe you ought to read Edmund Burke. Have you ever heard of Edmund Burke? I know he's not Engels and, uh, and Marx, I know he's not Ibram Kendi. Who decides, ladies and gentlemen? Go ahead. ...they're objecting
2: to is a factual analysis of our history. Warts and Nobody's
1: off. objecting to a factual analysis of our history. You are such a dim bulb. You don't even know what critical race theory is. Or you do, and you're a flat-out, bald-faced liar. Tremendous historians have come forward. Pulitzer Prize winners who have no political party. Some of them are actually liberals who are, have nothing but contempt for the 1619 Project, critical race theory, even the, the more modern promoter and one of the founding fathers at Harvard Law School, Derek Bell, even he talked about, and this is critical in critical race theory, as you'll see when you read the book, it's not about statistics or knowledge or experience or fact. It's about storytelling. That is key to understanding critical race theory. Storytelling. Because they really don't want to talk about history. Go ahead. But what they're doing is far more
2: pernicious. They've taken legitimate calls for critical self-reflection and demonized it into a... Do you
1: have critical self-reflection for being the bigot you were in the posts you put up, anti-homosexual posts? You lied about it. You said somebody hacked your site. Do you have self-reflection? Can there be racists who aren't white? Do they have self-reflection? What if you're not a racist? What do you need self-reflection for? But according to Critical Race Theory, if you're white, you are a racist. You're born a racist. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. It's in your DNA. Now, she brings Ibrahim Kendi on, who's become a multimillionaire. He's like an associate professor of, you know, nitwittery or whatever he does. No, 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 no. We're not talking about... I read your book, your latest book, you idiot. Yes, you are. Cut three. Go.
2: Do you believe that white
1: americans are
2: inherently racist
3: oh i do not and and indeed in how to be an anti-racist i make the case that we shouldn't believe that anyone is inherently racist or that we should identify anyone as a racist and i make the case that racist isn't a fixed category
1: it's a descriptive term you know know why he does that you know why he does that mr producer in america because a category would be like the clan is racist, right? It would be like neo nazis are racist, right? It'd be white supremacists, real white supremacists, they're racist. You see it's not about them in particular, don't you see? It is a it is a descriptive term. What did I just tell you? It's not about knowledge or science. It's a descriptive term to describe all whites. Go ahead.
3: What a person is being in any given moment based on what they're doing or saying. And so if a it per-
1: describes what a person is being at any given moment based on what they're doing or saying. And stop lying, Ibram. It's also what they're not doing and saying. It's inherent. You might even not be conscious about what's taking place. You can't help it. This is his book. Go ahead
3: saying black people are lazy, they're being racist. But in the very next moment, they're advocating a policy that creates justice uh, and and equity for all. You see,
1: see, if she would let him talk more, and she cuts him off and interrupts, but it would become obvious. You see, even if you advocate for equity, the problem is in that dumb skull of yours, you white people still think about minorities in bigoted and racist terms. You may not say so, but you do. In this white dominant society. You can't help it. This is how you're taught. This is what, this is what goes on in your head. So you might even be for equity for all. You might even be a, a left-wing white professor. You might be all these things. You're just not good enough you have to come to grips with this? Go ahead.
2: Racist. Okay. Uh, and, and
1: do you know... Um, Notice she got a little tripped up there, Mr. Producer? Because he was moving in that direction. She, uh, uh, okay, uh, uh, wait a minute. Let me change the subject. Go ahead.
2: Any schools that are teaching that white Americans are inherently racist? Have you ever heard of any school that's teaching that anywhere? <laughs>
3: I haven't. And, and, and indeed, I would speak out against that school. Oh, this,
1: this is sad. This is pathetic. He's a coward. He's been exposed and he doesn't like it. More when I return. I'll be right back.
0: love in.
1: This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy 4th of July. Now, back to the best of me. Part of my answer to Professor Kendi, enjoy read, which is probably useless, here in my book, American Marxism. You have an individual, Robin DiAngelo, wrote a book that's made a fortune, Right Fragility, and she writes White supremacy is a descriptive and useful term to capture the all encompassing centrality and assumed superiority of people defined and perceived as white and the practice is based on this assumption. White supremacy in this context does not refer to individual white people and their individual intentions or actions, but to an overarching political, economic and social system of domination. Again, racism is a structure, not an event, while hate groups that openly proclaim white superiority do exist, and this term refers to them also. The popular consciousness solely associates white supremacy with these radical groups, This reductive definition obscures the reality of the larger system at work and prevents us from addressing this system. And so, you see, folks, white supremacy defines and explains the entire American experiment, not merely an extreme fringe of white supremacists. And this is what Kendi was trying to say before Joy Reid cut him off. We're not talking about the Klan. We're We're talking about whites, They declare that not only is society incurably racist and white-dominated, but there's no point in attempting to assert or pursue your rights because such rights really are not rights at all. Why? Because they do not deliver the kind of Marxist egalitarianism and people, so-called workers' paradise, demanded by the critical race movement. And I go on and on about this. So they're not going to get away with they're little head fakes. We cannot allow this ideology be defined by the corrupt Democrat Party, radical media in this country, at MSNBC, CNN, and the other, uh, and the other low-rated uh, platforms out there. This is my point about the book, American Marxism. You'll be able to, you're not going to memorize everything, but you'll be able to read it, understand it, and then go back if you need to, and say, wait a minute, Joy really reads lying through her teeth. Or you'll be able to, when you're confronted by an individual who promotes this kind of racism, to politely explain how wrong they are. How wrong they are. And the critical race theoreticians, like other Marxists, reject dialogue, reject debate. They are self-righteous and they are narcissistic. They demand compliance. In fact, If you don't comply, then they start with a name call. Oh, you must be a white racist. Well, wait a minute, I'm not a white. But they've colonized your mind. What? Oh, yes. You may not be white by skin, but you're white by mind. This is the sickness of this Marxist movement. I'll be right back.
0: Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again
1: made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Independence Day. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Let's diverge a little bit. Those of you who have stayed with the program, those of you who are joining us now, I want to thank you. Final hour of the program. One of the areas that we're going to spend much more time on than we have thus far, than most people seem to, is the fanaticism that surrounds so-called climate change and the Green New Deal and what that really is. And I haven't given you much of a flavor of what's in American Marxism on this, and yet it's one of the longest chapters in the book. So I thought we'd have a little bit of fun and touch on it. Because this is an attack on your lifestyle, your livelihood, your ability to survive when people are going after your, your income and your private property and going after you economically. And that's what American Marxists like Bernie Sanders are all about. In your name, they'll create all kinds of programs. They'll call it infrastructure, affordable housing, home care for the aged, child care, and climate change. But it all means you have to surrender things like liberty and your money and your property. You have to join the commune, part of the communal. And I put in the book, given the movement's Marxist inculcation, it is unsurprising that it intersects with the growing influence of critical race theory and other such manifestations, which is what they do, environmental justice and so forth. And we'll learn more about that as time goes on. I want to introduce you to something that occurred in July 18, 2014, seven short years ago. And on that date, a large number of delegates from radical groups throughout the world gathered to issue a joint proclamation called the Margarita Declaration on Climate Change. It's revealing that their proclamation leads with a quote from Venezuela's late Marxist dictator Hugo Chavez, quote, Let us go to the future. Let us bring it and sow it here. Now, of course, thanks to Chavez and his successor, Nicolas Maduro, the Venezuelan economy and society are devastated. People are dying of starvation and seeking refuge in the United States and other countries. There's a complete breakdown in health care and basic public services, and the government is a violent police state that represses any and all dissident voices. Indeed, the proclamation reads like a modern version of Marx's Communist Manifesto laced with environmental declarations and platitudes. While it is insipid and absurd on so many levels, it is also dangerously appealing and increasingly acceptable as a matter of national and international policy. The declaration starts this way. It is necessary to reach an alternative development model based on the principles of living in harmony with nature, guided by absolute and ecological sustainability limits, And the capacity of Mother Earth as well. A fair, egalitarian model that constructs sustainable economies, that moves us away from energy models based on fossil fuels and hazardous energies, that guarantees and recognizes the respect to Mother Earth, the rights of women, children, adolescents, gender diversity, the impoverished, the vulnerable minority groups, and the original indigenous peoples. A fair and egalitarian model that fosters the peaceful coexistence of our peoples. We likewise want a society where the right of Mother Earth prevails over neoliberal policies, economic globalization, and patriarchy. Because without Mother Earth, life does not exist. We couldn't destroy Mother Earth if we wanted to. Mother Earth one day is going to destroy us. First of all, it's not a mother. It's a planet. And I say nothing says bombast and narcissism like a gathering of self-righteous Marxists working together to construct a statement of purpose to include every possible group and cause in their coalition and to treat so-called Mother Earth as if she's some kind of wallflower or victim. The result, an incoherent and nonsensical mission statement. Nonetheless, the movement is for real, and it threatens our way of life. Now, the declaration continues. The main sources for a climate crisis are the political and economic systems commercializing and reifying nature and life, thus impoverishing spirituality and imposing consumerism and developmentalism that generate unequal regimes and exploitation of resources. This global crisis is exacerbated by unsustainable practices of exploitation and consumption, by the developed countries and the elites of the developing countries. We demand the leaders in the North not continue such wicked practices that destroy the planet and demand the leaders in the South not follow the development models in place in the North, which lead to this civilizing crisis. We urge them to construct an alternative path to achieve fair, egalitarian, and sustainable societies and fair economies. For such purposes, it's required that the developed countries... Meet their moral and legal obligations, especially vis-a-vis vulnerable and marginalized countries and communities, by lifting barriers such as intellectual property rights, which prevent the attainment of the preservation of life over the planet and the salvation of the human species. We likewise urge them to comply with the financial contribution and the transfer of safe and locally suitable technologies free from barriers such as intellectual property rights, strengthen capacities and embrace the principles set forth in the Climate Change Convention and in Rio Earth Summit, especially as to the common but differentiated responsibilities and respective capabilities, and the principles of precaution and gender equality. Rambling buffoonism. I'm reminded of what Thomas Sowell wrote in his book, The Quest for Cosmic Justice. I'm reading from American Marxism. About such widely overstated, generalized, and untested visions. He says, Lenin represented one of the purest examples of a man who operated on the basis of a vision and its categories, which superseded the world of flesh-and-blood human beings, or the the realities within which they lived out their lives. Only tactically or strategically did the nature of the world beyond the vision matter as a means to the end of fulfilling that vision. Lenin's preoccupation with with, uh, with visions was demonstrated not only by his failure to enter the world of the working class, in whose name he spoke, but also his failure to ever set foot in the Soviet Central Asia, a vast area larger than Western Europe, and one in which the doctrinaire and devastating schemes of Lenin and his successors would be imposed by force for nearly three-quarters of a century. It's like Joe Biden not going to the southern border to see what he's done. Very Leninist, if you ask me. So, last, we'll that visions are inescapable, because the limits of our own direct knowledge are inescapable, the crucial question is whether visions provide a basis for theories to be tested or for dogmas to be proclaimed and imposed. Much of the history of the 20th century has been a history of the tyranny of vision as dogmas. Previous centuries saw the despotism of monarchs or of military conquerors, but the 20th century has seen the use of ruling individuals and parties whose passport to power was their successful marketing of visions. Almost by definition, this was the marketing of the promises of visions, since performance could not be judged before achieving the power to put the vision into action. And now I say, as if leading an international Marxist revolution, the radicals at this convention went on to demand the change, the production and consumption patterns, taking into account the historic responsibilities of emissions from nations and corporations and their cumulative nature, thus recognizing that the carbon atmosphere space is finite and needs to be equally distributed amongst the countries and their people. You go on. International communism. That's seven years ago. Many of the organizations in the United States today who have the ear of this administration attended, or had delegates who attended this event. I get into this more detail, but not just that event. These so-called iconic scholars in this field, and what they have to say. They have a whole lot to say. One of them goes on to say that the whole notion of a nation-state is repugnant. We don't need nation-states. We're one people of the world. He's considered iconic. We have others who say we must limit that materialism that developed countries enjoy. And we must move it back, say, 30 years to consumption levels of 30 years. Now, I want you to think about that. Population has massively increased. So if we move back consumption levels to 30 years ago, you're going to have mass impoverishment and mass starvation. And how exactly do you do that? By taking people's property and money? So this is an ideology that is dressed up in polar bears to hide the iron fist. This is, in addition to the other Marxist-spawned, American Marxist movements, a grave threat to our existence. And the Biden administration has embraced a vast part of it. And so when they talk about massive taxation and redistribution of wealth and all these programs they want to create, which are basically wash-throughs for taking money out of your hands, out of the private sector, giving it to the government to create all these entities and bureaucracies and so forth, same outcomes. That's the bottom line. They don't care if any of these programs work. We just spent trillions of dollars. We were just told $400 billion went to criminals, international criminals. They don't even blink on Capitol Hill. They don't even blink in the media. They don't even blink in the White House. Bernie Sanders on CNN today says, the infrastructure deal didn't include affordable housing, home care for the aged, child care, climate change. In other words, every single thing that a nation needs to do or wants to do, whether it's with the military, whether it's with actual physical infrastructure and so forth, must be tied to the Bernie Sanders Marxist agenda. Let's listen exactly what he had to say on CNN today. Cut 11, go. So what
3: we have got to do is now invest in making sure that we have affordable housing in this country, that we have home health care for an aging population, that we're able to expand Medicare so that we finally can cover dental care and hearing aids uh, and eyeglasses, that we deal with the crisis in child care, where so many families, working families cannot afford uh, child care, and that in addition to all of that, it's absolutely imperative that we deal with the I would say, existential threat to this planet of climate change.
1: Well, there you go. Now, you see, all of this empowers the government, the bureaucracy, and the Democrat Party. That's what it does. Now, you can put fancy labels on this stuff. You can pull at heartstrings through this stuff. But the best way to take care of most people in this country is through free market capitalism. Not through a massive increase in the welfare state that's already been massively increased. Why we think there's competency in the federal and state bureaucracies, I'll never know. I'll never know, because there's not. So we have so many wonderful things that take place as a result of the private sector. Nobody ever talks about them. Now, Bernie Sanders had his way. Listen up, reprobates over at Media Matters. We'd be North Korea. There wouldn't be a private sector left of any meaningful size or type. He wants to spend another six or so trillion dollars, and he's telling you every single thing the government needs to create and be involved in whether it's dental care and eyeglasses. They're destroying Medicare with Obamacare, but he wants to expand Medicare coverage. Well, how do you do that? Free dental care, free hearing aids, free eyeglasses. Well, how are you going to pay all these people who actually have to get degrees, actually have to go into these retail stores, or actually have to provide all these uh, services and goods? And so, How does that work? You just throw around labels, we need dental care and hearing aids and eyeglasses and this and that and the other. You know, in the old days, we used to say, why don't you get a job and work? You can get some benefits with a lot of employers. You can put money aside and purchase things. Says here, uh, and the existential threat, of course, is climate change. Well, if that's the existential threat, then we're dead. We have no control over the climate, none. All the headbangers and dead-enders and flat-earthers out there, who make up this cabal, they can't do a damn thing about changes in the climate. They can pass as many laws as they want, but as usual, whether it's the Second Amendment or anything else, they want to pass laws to control you, and ultimately that's what they would do. The number of cars you have, rationing of energy, that's what it would come down to. We know, because that's the way it worked in totalitarian state. They get to decide how big your homes are and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's frightening. And this does not receive enough enough focus and attention, but it will in the book. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Independence Day. One minute, but let's go to Jim, Orlando, Florida, the the great WSKY, our great affiliate. Jim, go right ahead, please.
0: Yes, sir, Mr. Levin, none but respect. You are probably the greatest constitutional scholar of the land, you and John Eastman. Well,
1: Eastman. And I really respect you. Thank you.
0: Uh, And I just want to say, I want you to thank your wife. Yeah, for all of us American first patriots, she's such a patriot for the time she spent.
1: I want to thank her. She is a fantastic patriot. Believe it or not, she's got more energy than I do, and she keeps me at it. I'll tell you what—ball energy. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Many of you've seen my wife Julie at the various CPAC events and so forth. She's great, isn't she? this is Mark Levin wishing you a happy 4th of July. Now back to the best of me. Now Brandeis, left-wing kook organization, uh, institution. Th- this is the problem with these universities. You know this is like eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 to go to this school a year, Mr. Producer? You have to be out of your mind. Or a left-wing kook. But don't worry, it's money well spent. The rule of thumb... Where does this from? I can't even tell what uh, s- source. Oh, the New York Post. Sorry, New York Post. The rule of thumb at this ultra-woke college is don't say rule of thumb. Students and faculty at Brandeis University are being urged to stop using words and phrases like picnic. What's wrong with picnic? Seriously, what the, what's the problem with that? Trigger warning. You remember a couple of years ago, a guy called me from Dallas, Mr. Producer, and he was mad at me. He said, you're triggering me. And I never heard of the phrase, what the hell is your prayer? You're triggering me. I said, oh, screw off. Can you use screw off, Mr. Biddy? I don't know. Don't even use the words rule of thumb because of what a campus counseling service calls their links to violence and power to reinforce systems of oppression. These are not institutions of higher learning. These are insane asylums. A compendium of potentially oppressive language, quote-unquote, posted on the school's website by its Prevention, Advocacy, and Resource Center, also lists loads of examples of gender exclusion, ableists. I have no idea. The culturally appropriate terminology that can get in the way of meaningful dialogue. How about like F off? Is that allowed still, Mr. Bidison? The oppressive language list, quote-unquote, that's what they call it, First reported by Campus Reform. There's a terrific group. Was developed recently as part of the Parks' response to anti-blackness program. So rule of thumb has something to do with racism? Oh my Lord, this is getting sicker by the second. And it's always growing based on suggestions from the community, according to a webpage titled Holding Ourselves Accountable. You know what this is? Mental pornography. As a community, we can strive to remove language that may hurt those who have experienced violence from our everyday use. All right, I want to ask, anybody experience violence as a result of the phrase rule of thumb? Picnic? Trigger warning? I think the word Brandeis uh, should be banned because it gives me a headache, Mr. Producer. These recommendations for more neutral language are brought forth by students who've been subject to violence, who have worked with others who are healing from violence, as well as, what does picnic have to do with violence? As well as students who have sought out advanced training in intervening in potentially violent situations. As I say, the word Brandeis causes me really to get pissed off. According to the oppressive language list, the word picnic has been associated with lynchings of black people in the United States. Did you know that, anybody? Picnic? During which white spectators were said to have watched while eating. What does that have to do with picnic? Oh, my Lord. What else? Every day brings a new form of insanity. Another institution bites the dust. A suggested alternative to picnic is outdoor eating. Well, that's clever. So when people were watching lynchings, Mr. Producer, weren't they outdoor eating if they were picnicking? I I, I mean, rule of thumb can be replaced with general rule because the former allegedly comes from an old British law allowing men to beat their wives with sticks no wider than their thumb. Oh, oh, okay. Rule of thumb. And when it comes to trigger warning, an alert that spoken, written, or recorded material may be alarming to certain people based on their experiences. Possible alternatives include content note. Content note? The word trigger has connections to guns for many people. We can't have that. Now... Elise Stefanik, the number three Republican in the House, who's co-sponsoring a bill called the Campus Free Speech and Restoration Act, all out assault on our First Amendment, an example of the far-left cancel culture happening in our schools. Boy, is she right. Boy, is she right. Now they're weaponizing words like picnic and policemen, listing them as oppressive. Former uh, Cooney trustee, you know, the word C-U-N-Y should be banned, Mr. Producer. I don't like the way it sounds. Jeff Weisenfeld called the list idiocy, lunacy, and a disgrace. We're not talking about the N-word here, he said. It's a tyranny of the lesser minority to instill fear in people. If you take it to the extreme, you end up with tyranny. And Weisenfeld, the son of Holocaust survivors, added... It's hurtful that this is happening at Brandeis. Louis Brandeis was one of the first Jewish Supreme Court justices. He would be appalled by this. Uh Uh-oh, then we need to ban Louis Brandeis. You know why, Mr. Producer? The word Jewish, and in fact the existence of Jews, really upset certain elements on our planet. Did you know that? Now, the oppressive language list surfaced just weeks after a Brandeis administrator was revealed to have said on social media that, quote, all white people are racist in that all white people have been conditioned in society where one's racial identity determines life experiences and outcomes and whiteness is the norm and default. Well, first of all, he or she is illiterate. They don't have to write a sentence without a run-on sentence. That's number one. I don't know. The word picnic seems less offensive to me than what this jackass said. Oh! That includes me, added Kate Slater, Assistant Dean of Graduate Student Affairs. See, I'm a racist too. Well, then fire yourself, you idiot. And maybe go have a picnic. Brandeis is located just outside of Boston. Congratulations, Massachusetts. They enrolled 3,500 undergraduates and 2,000 graduate students last year, according to their website. Well, that's 5,500 brains that will be destroyed. Says here that uh, I'm trying to read with one eye here. The cost nearly sixty thousand a year. Sorry, oh wait, room and board an additional sixteen thousand four fifty. By my calculation, that's seventy six thousand four hundred and fifty a year, and it's well worth it. Well worth it. In a prepared statement, a Brandeis spokesperson. Now I'm offended by this word, spokesperson, Mr. Producer. This word, spokesperson. Her name is Julie Jett. Julie Jett, a.k.a. JJ. Julie Jett is not a spokesperson, and the New York Post needs to get this straight. She is a birthing person. Use the language. A Brandeis birthing person. Am I behind on something? Am I okay? We're all right. All right. Anyway, uh, the lunacy, the idiocy... ...of the insane asylums we used to call universities and colleges uh, proceeds. We'll be right back.
0: Mark Levin.
1: This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Independence Day. He has raised $868,000. $68,000 since we mentioned it in the first hour of the program... They're about $130,000 short of their goal of $1 million, and I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that this grand, fantastic, magnificent audience will get them to where they need to be. And you can check out their site. Just go to my parlor site, at Mark Levin Show Parlor, at Mark Levin Show Parlor. We have a link, a direct link to the site uh, where you can donate. Even a small amount of money, there's 150 people missing, ladies and gentlemen. And these first responders are working morning, noon, and night. And these families are just torn to pieces, and we want to do what we can to help them. Uh, And uh, so anything we can do, those of you who can do it, I hope you will. Also, I have failed to mention, we have a fantastic Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't watch it live, I hope you'll DVR it. But it's always fun to watch it live. Our first guest is the governor of Florida. Speaking of Surfside, Florida, you know him, Ron DeSantis. And our second guest is Senator Tom Cotton. It is a powerful, powerful double-punch program. And of course, me. So I hope you'll watch it. Here we are, every Friday, America, in honor of you. The is officially here. The week is officially over. Please join us this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. A killer show. You're going to love it on Fox. Also, please jump in. We can use your help and support. Go to Amazon. American Marxism. It's almost 40% off. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey and Griffey and Pepsi and Zelda and Smokey and Gigi and my little Barney. And good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. And America, we're here to stay. And I'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend.